Well, all right. Good morning, One Church. Just so you know, that doesn't work if you have like a Zach Morris cell phone, all right? So if you're punching around on your humongous cell phone, if you've got a bag phone, remember those? If you have that, it doesn't, it's not going to work, all right? But uh, for those of you that have uh, Androids or iPhones, uh, you should be uh, able to check in there with us. Glad you're here today. My name's Joel, and I'm the family pastor here. Uh, been here for a week. Uh, so we're celebrating our one-week anniversary. You remember doing that in middle school? Celebrating one weeks? Yeah. I came in today, and Josh had put a rose on my locker, one for one week. It was real special. We had a neat time celebrating that. Uh, I'm standing in for uh, our lead pastor, uh, Lance Armstrong, um, who uh, is actually is actually here today. Chris, hey, buddy. He's right over here. Recovering. <laughs> At least I think that's him. Oh, no, it's another guy in a neck brace and an arm sling. So good to see you, friend. I'm glad you're here. Uh, keep praying for Chris um, as he continues to heal and, and recover. Um, and mainly just keep praying for Kim because Chris wants to be up here to preach and all that stuff, and we're just not going to let him. All right? So I'm glad he's here. It was uh, neat seeing him, just uh, how far he's come. A week ago, it didn't look like he was in a bicycle accident. It looked like he was in a motorcycle accident. Um, and so the bruises are going away and all that kind of stuff, which is, is great. And he doesn't remember it because he was on morphine, but he already gave me a raise, which was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. I'm really excited. So it's been a special week for me. So our bookkeeper called. She's like, hey, I need to get all your stuff set up for a direct deposit. And I was like, oh, yeah. I said, by the way, Chris isn't going to remember it. But when he was in the hospital bed, he gave me a raise. And I said to her, I said, he gave you one too. And she goes, well, I, I do this volunteer. I said, well, you got a raise. You're making money now. We're, we're going to keep talking about this idea of, of being stuck. This is a new series we started last week, and it's for those of us that, that, that are just stuck in a rut, we're in a routine, we're just kind of going on in this cycle. Uh, last week we talked about those people who are, who are stuck in religion and looking for religion to get them unstuck, and we realize that that's, that's not how it works. We're going to talk about people who are stuck in their stuff, or they're stuck in their situation and their problems. Or maybe people who are stuck in, in relationships, looking for, for something, religion or relationships or stuff or circumstances to fill this, this hole, this gap inside of us. And the reality is there's no way to be unstuck unless you're unstuck by Jesus Christ. And we're going to look in the book of John at, at these discussions, these conversations that Jesus had with person after person throughout the book of John who were stuck in one thing or another, and it was their encounter with Jesus, a fresh, a new encounter with Jesus that changed everything. So that's where we're going to dig in. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to the book of John. If that Bible is on a printed book or in a phone, um, if you have it written out on index cards, whatever you need to do, let's go to the book of John, John chapter 4, and we're going to meet another person who was stuck, this time stuck in relationships. John chapter 4, we're going to start at verse 1. And it says this, the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. And when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and he went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, named the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus was tired as he was from the journey, so he sat down by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me something to drink? 
This starts a very strange conversation that was built on very strange circumstances. We'll see it for, for many reasons. First of all, this is a strange conversation because of the uniqueness of Jesus. Jesus is coming and doing something here relating to a woman from Jew to Gentile, from Jew to Sumerian, uh, rabbi to non-Jew. He was breaking religious tradition. And we showed last week how religion doesn't get us unstuck. It's a, it's a new, fresh encounter with Jesus that does. So it's unique because Jesus is here, and he's not doing things the way that tradition or religion says to do it. It's a strange conversation because it's a curious time of day. It says that it was in the sixth hour that this happened. The Jewish workday ran from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. They did a 12-hour workday. And the sixth hour would have been smack dab in the middle. It would have been about 12 o'clock, high noon. This was not the time of day where people did physical chores like carrying huge jugs of water to and from a well in the middle of the heat. So it's curious that it's happening here at, at this time. It's also a strange conversation because this is an odd location. It says Jesus was going through Samaria to a town named Sychar. Now Sychar actually had a well right within city limits. But John doesn't say it's at that well. He actually says they're at Jacob's well. Jacob's well was a half a mile outside of town. So if you really needed water in the middle of the day to do dishes or laundry or start dinner for that night, you didn't go to a well a half a mile away and carry a humongous jug back and forth. You went to the well in town. So it's an odd location because it's going on outside of town in the middle of the day. And it's a strange conversation because this conspicuous woman shows up. John tells us it's a Samaritan woman who's getting water in the hottest part of the day when nobody did chores like this at a well half a mile outside of town. Someone who does things at an inconvenient time, in inconvenient locations, they're conspicuous, aren't they? Kind of makes you wonder, what's going on? What's their story? Well, John doesn't wait too long to tell us kind of what her story was. If you look over in verse 16, Jesus looks at her and he says to her, go call your husband and then come on back. And she says in verse 17, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is that you have had five husbands and the man that you now have is not your husband. So what you have just said is quite true. Jews and Samaritans actually shared a a common religious heritage. They both grew out of the Old Testament. And so when it came to marriage and remarriage and divorce, that was something that they both would have understood. That in in, in Jewish tradition, in their religious tradition, getting divorced was not the way that they wanted to, but sometimes it happened. So if you were divorced once, eh, you know, it's all right. If you're divorced twice, that's okay. If you're divorced a third time, it's, it's not the best, but, you know, it's all right. But anything after that is scandalous. And Jesus says, you've been married five times, and the man you're living with, that's not your husband either. You're not even going to try it again. So we have this story now. We see that this woman has a sordid past, has a sexual past, and she is the town joke. Everywhere this woman went, there were whispers, disapproving looks from the women in town. As she walked by, there's that girl. Everywhere she went, she heard the hushed tones of men who were nudging their buddy, looking her over like a piece of meat and saying, there's that girl. Everywhere she went, she was hearing, there she goes, there she goes, there she goes. 
I wonder how many times she heard it. All week long, I've been thinking about it. I've been thinking about that, that song from, if you're a child of the 90s, there's that, there's that song, There She Goes. I can't, I can't bring the tune to mind. I shouldn't even bring it up. It's stupid to bring this up, you know, because it's not really going to work as an illustration. To think, there she goes. But you guys, you remember that song? I, gosh, I wish I could remember. Wish I could. Hey, Josh. I just happened to be backstage, conveniently with my guitar, listening. Do you know that song? Completely unplanned. Completely? But yes, I do. This, this isn't song. scripted at all. This is natural. Natural. Yeah. That's yeah, it. No, I know it. You know that song? Oh, Papa knows it. Yeah. Oh. I think I think we should sing it, Big Daddy. We should. The words are coming back. There she goes. He's got it. There she it. goes again. He's got it. Yeah. Racing through my brain. His brain. And I just can't contain these feelings that remain. There she goes. There she goes. There she goes again. There she goes. You know it! That's you know it. what I was thinking, Joel? What's that? You know what this song needs, right? I think I know what it needs. Cowbell. Some cowbell. That's right. Fell out. <laughs> Lucky. <laughs> there she goes. There she goes. There she goes again. There she goes. Racing through my brain, and I just can't contain these feelings that remain. Again. She calls my name, pulls my train. No one else could heal my pain, and I just can't contain these feelings that remain. See, when we have a past, it sticks with us. Did that just happen? That didn't happen, right? I blacked out for a minute. And I got another raise while it happened, which was awesome. When you have a past, it sticks with you. And this woman we see has a past. And it not just stuck with her, it was keeping her stuck. This woman's life was stuck in a routine of duck and hide, run for cover. She was stuck in the consequences of a life that was built on relationships that didn't quench her soul the way that she thought they would. They didn't quench her soul the way that these men promised they would. They didn't quench her soul the way that the world said it would. The relationships wouldn't work. So she went back for another, and then another, and then another, 
and then another, and then another. It left her unquenched. She was drinking from this goblet of relationship again and again and again and again. And it didn't work because relationships won't get us unstuck. Relationships won't fill that gap inside of us. Some of you here today are being haunted by past relationships. What relationship is, is haunting you from encountering Jesus? What, what past relationship is making you feel disqualified from God's love? What past relationship is, is making you feel disqualified from being able to serve that same God who loved you? What past relationship is making you stuck and is deepening that stuck situation? This woman had a past, and she had accepted that this past had kept her from any type of valuable relationship, any type of worth, any type of love. And she lived in the wreckage of this past. She lived embracing the stuck. It's interesting here that this happens at a well. A well was a place that people went to again and again and again to quench their physical thirst. But it's symbolic for this woman and maybe for some of us in this room because we go to wells of relationships all the time hoping it will quench our relational thirst, our emotional thirst. We go back again and again and again and again because we think maybe this time, maybe this time, It'll quench me. Maybe this time this relationship will work. That's insanity, friends. It's insanity. The definition for insanity is doing the same thing again and again, expecting a different result. But really what we're doing is just remaining stuck. We go back to these relationships. This will fix me. I'll do it again and again and again. I'll do it as many times as I need to, giving myself to him, giving myself to her again and again and again. Or maybe we can't break that past relationship that hurt us, the divorce or the painful breakup. And we just live in that pain. And that dictates who we are every single day. We go back to that pain again and again and again. Maybe it's those of us that are so stuck that we log onto that computer again and again and again, looking at pornography site after pornography site, thinking this time it's going to fix me. This time I'll feel better. Maybe it's those of us that are just living in a relationship that's filled with so much sexual activity because we think the more I do it, the better I'll feel, the better I'll be fixed. And each time, whether it's a relationship or a past pain or pornography or sexual activity, no matter what it is, that pain comes back quicker. That hole feels a lot deeper. We're stuck. So here's the big idea that that we want to put on buckets for you today to take, take away with you. To get unstuck, we have to go to a new well. The Samaritan woman was returning day after day after day to this old well. This old well that wouldn't change her. This old well that that wouldn't break her from her past. She was stuck. And as she went to this old well, she was only reminded of her shame, only reminded of her guilt that was attached to her, that was stuck to not only her life, but to her whole personality, her whole being. This woman was, was going here again and again and again, just trying to avoid those looks, those gazes, just trying to to survive another day. But on this day, it was going to be different because she went to the well, there was Jesus. And we see as the conversation unfolds that to both her and you and I, Jesus is offering us a choice to go to a new well, to go to a new well. 
But we see it there for her and for us. We can choose this new well that Jesus is offering or the old well that never seems to change us or fix us or quench our thirst. We see this unfold in this conversation. The first thing that Jesus does as they get into the conversation is he offers her a new well that's a new encounter. A new encounter. Look at verse 7. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? We see here that the very first words are Jesus' words. He's taking the initiative. And with that initiative, he is breaking all kinds of religious tradition, all kinds of Jewish regulations. Man doesn't talk to a woman who's not his wife. Rabbi doesn't talk to somebody who, who is of the opposite sex. Jews don't talk to Samaritans. It's just not how it works. But Jesus takes the initiative. Jesus is offering a new encounter. Jesus is offering a new well because Jesus doesn't want her or you or I to be stuck. We see her response in verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. In Jesus' time, Palestine was about 120 miles long. It's a long strip right along the sea, kind of like a, like a Rhode Island would be here in the U.S. It was broken into three distinct uh, regions, geographic areas. The very top of Palestine was Galilee. That's where Jesus was from. He was a Galilean. The bottom was Judea. And right in the middle was Samaria. And the Samaritans were. And if you were to go back into the Old Testament, you'll, you'll know that the nation of Israel was actually broken into 12 tribes. There was the tribe from Galilee, there was the tribe from Judea, and then there was the 10 from right in the middle of Samaria. And as different nations would come in because God brought judgment upon Israel because they remained stuck in their cycle of sin, when they were conquered, they would pull these people into captivity. And the Samaritans were taken into captivity by the Assyrians. And while they were in captivity, they didn't stay in their religious traditions of, of, of worshiping God. They didn't stick with their past and their heritage. They actually just began to embrace the, the Assyrians. They intermarried. They began to, to have children with them. They began to grow families that were half Samaritan, half Assyrian. They began to accept the traditions and the customs of the Assyrians. And Worst of all, they committed idolatry and they began to worship the same gods that the Assyrians did. So when the Samaritans came out of captivity, the Jews, who at one point when they were in captivity did not do any of that, looked at them as political traitors, trading their heritage, trading their history, trading their traditions. They looked at them as half-breeds for, for intermarrying. They looked at them as, as religious traitors, because they gave up their heritage. They gave up their religion. They gave up their tradition. They saw these people as, as ones who were rebels, traitors, half-breeds. They were people who didn't sweeten their tea. They were people who didn't know that there was a Hank Williams Sr. And heaven forbid they cheered for Kentucky basketball. These people were the worst of the worst. And the Jews despised the Samaritans. They looked at them in disdain. But this Jew asked this Samaritan woman for a drink. He breaks racial tradition. He breaks customs of men and women and rabbi and, and woman and Jew and Gentile. He was mixing with her and he was asking her to give him water. And in those days to give somebody water was not just to hand them a cup, it was actually to bring it to their lips. So not only was she going to give him a drink, she was going to touch his face, his mouth. Dirty, dirty, dirty in, in religion. But Jesus isn't about religion. He's about relationships. He's about seeing people's lives changed. 
Because to get unstuck, we have to go to new wells. Jesus gets this. That's why he's offering it. The woman we see doesn't get it yet. So in verse 10, we see that Jesus doesn't just offer her a new encounter at this well. He offers her new life. And in verse 10, Jesus says to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. This term, living water, in the original languages, was an offering of fresh, clean, pure water. Symbolic of a new life, not bound by our pasts. He's offering this to her. He's offering this to me. He's offering this to you, this new life. The woman answers him in verse 11, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? She doesn't get the living water he's offering because she knew this well. She knew it, she knew it very good because she went there all the time. And she says to him, you don't have anything to draw the water out with. It's deep well. When they discovered this well in the 1960s, they measured it. It's over 100 feet deep. This isn't like the well that the Goonies were trapped in, all right, down at the bottom, where you could, like, talk to people out and you could send a letterman jacket up. That's not the kind of well here. It is deep. It's dark. You can't see the bottom. And in fact, this well was not a well that was, was built because there was a natural spring there. It was a well that was built because deep down, hunt past that 100-foot well, there was an aquifer and water would just kind of percolate up and it would just gather. So it wasn't fresh spring water like is bottled and sold to us at stores. This was water that just kind of percolated and it gathered. So it was muddy, murky, dirty water. But if you had to do your laundry and you had to wash your dishes, you had to purify to cook, it was as good as anything else you could probably find. And this woman says to Jesus, you can't get that living water down there. I know this well. I keep coming back to it. I come back to these relationships. I come back to my past because this is all I know. So this living water, it, doesn't, it, it can't happen here. She's saying to Jesus, you can't get living water out of my past. It is a dirty, muddy, murky, deep well. And you can't reach into that, can you? She's showing these old patterns, these old patterns that are symbolizing this old well. So when she's presented with new life, new water, fresh living, she doesn't get it just yet because she's still holding on to her old wells. She's still holding on to her old ways, her old relationships, even if that's mediocre, subpar, doesn't quench. So Jesus goes to her again and offers her more new wells. And he offers her not just a new encounter, not just new life. He offers her a new thirst for God. Look in verse 13. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. This well you go to? Yeah, absolutely. There's no living water there because you're going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. When Jesus says living water here, it's different from the way he uses it in verse 10. The living water in verse 10 is new life, fresh life, pure life, and that's good. But he's saying it's not just that, it's even more, because when he says living water in verse 14, it's a living water that shows a joy because you're connected with God in a whole new way. You're connected to God through salvation. In Isaiah 12, 3, it says, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. 
Jesus is offering her a new connection with God, unlike anything she's ever had before, a relationship with the living God. Look at her response in verse 15. Sir, she's cutting him off here. It sounds respectful, but it's not. She's just trying to end this conversation, get out this conversation with this crazy Jew, and move back on to ducking and hiding all the people in town who are talking about her. Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. This is a sarcastic response. This is her old way of doing things, her old responses. I don't believe anything a man says to me anymore. I've lived, been married to five of them, living with another one now. They don't do what they say. So why am I going to believe you in this new water? Just go ahead and give it to me. I don't have to do my chores anymore. She's being sarcastic. She's giving old responses. This is her way of of just acting, reacting, reacting, reacting. Nothing is going to change who I am, Jesus. Not you and nothing down in that well is going to change my situation. Nothing's going to change my past. So I'm just going to keep coming back and drinking this nasty, dirty water. My son, Luke, he's my middle son. He's almost seven. I love him. He is a, uh, he's a recovering juiceaholic. He's working his 12 steps, uh, overcoming his, uh, his addiction to apple juice. Um, it's been a tough journey. A tough journey. And my wife and I, God bless us, we're enablers. And so we just keep giving him apple juice. When Luke was three and four, he would get up in the morning, and because we would enable him and just give him this apple juice in a little sippy cup, he began to expect, if I wake up at four in the morning, you're going to give me an apple juice. And so he'd come walking down the hall like a, like a walking dead, and he'd have his little blanket, and he'd go, juice, juice. And he'd wander into our room. He's like, two, three, four, five in the morning, didn't matter. Juice. Juice. That would freak you out. You'd be in bed, you'd be like, oh, juice. One morning he came in, it was a couple of years ago, he came in, juice, juice. Sometimes we could appease him because I didn't want to get out of bed. It was cold. I didn't want to get him any juice. So we'd actually pull him into bed with us. It's being between mom and dad, it's warm in here, you're protected. We don't have to get out of bed and get you a juice. And he's laying in bed, he's like, I want a juice. I want a juice. Take it any way I can get it. Juice. He's out selling toys outside, just trying to make some money. Juice, I need juice. Give me my fix. And I got all fed up. I said, Luke, son, if you ask for juice one more time, you're not going to get juice the rest of the day. That's the atomic bomb of, of, of consequences here. No more juice, son. And it got quiet for about 11 seconds. And he went, Dad, I can't stop thinking about juice. That's how he did it. Juice, juice, juice. He went to that every day. Whether he needed it or not, that's what he knew. This woman went to the well every day, the well of relationships, the well of past pain, the well of lust, the well of sex. Because that's all she knew. Every single day, that's how she lived. So she's not going to get it when Jesus is just offering her this new well. It doesn't make sense to her. That's why grace is so amazing. Because when you don't get it the first time, Jesus offers it a second time. When you don't get it the second time, Jesus offers it a third time. When you don't get it the third time, he'll go to 20, 30, 100 times. He's offering to you. Don't go to that well. I have a new well for you. A new encounter. New life. A new thirst for God. And he's offering this to you. He's offering it to me. He's offering it to her. 
This new well of God connecting with him through Jesus is what he's offering. Psalm 42.1 says, my soul is thirsty for the living God. And whether this woman realized it yet, her soul was thirsty for the living God. Whether you realize it or, or, yet or not, your soul is thirsty for the living God. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here right now. So she tries to dodge Jesus again in verse 19. Sir, little, trying to cut him off again. I can see that you're a prophet. I can see you're religious. I can see you know some things. But our fathers worshiped, worshiped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we worship is in Jerusalem. It must be in Jerusalem. She starts throwing religion at him. She starts throwing worship at him. And she doesn't get it. Samaritans wouldn't have gotten this because they believed that worship was defined on where you went and what time you went and what you looked like. And Jesus is saying, no, that's, that's not it. So Jesus takes her to a new will of worship, a new worship. And look at what he says in verse 21. Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Jesus is a Jew. Salvation is from Jesus. So salvation comes through the Jews because it comes from Jesus. But in verse 23, he says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. Notice he's not saying that the Father seeks Jewish worshipers. He's not saying that the, the Father wants any type of specific worshiper. He's saying the people that God wants to worship are the people that God calls to himself, the people that have this thirst for God. See, when you come here into this room, you come to worship, it doesn't matter about your past. You can come and worship. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what you sound like. It doesn't matter what you act like. You can come here and worship anytime you want. And if you hear anybody from that door, from that parking lot, from this stage, from any of these songs that say anything otherwise, you call us on it. Because you are welcome here to worship anytime you want. Because God has new worship for you that's founded in new thirst for him, that's deepened from new life from him, that comes only from a new encounter with him. And Jesus is inviting you to that today. He's inviting me to that today. And he invited the Samaritan woman to it that day. True worship is one that is guided by the one true living spirit. That's the determining factor here. And that spirit is founded when we give our lives faithfully to Jesus Christ. Not by how we dress, not by where we go to church, not by what time we get there, and definitely not by what our past says about us. You come as you are, and Jesus has new water, new life, a new well for you. And the Spirit is one that allows us to worship in love and in loyalty and obedience and in devotion. And when we have that in our relationship with God, it must happen in our worship with God, love and loyalty and obedience, devotion then we can have it in our earthly relationships. This woman and many of us here have flipped that. If I can sort it all out down here and get it all together, then I can worship God. Friends, it's never gonna work that way. Relationships will never get you unstuck. And if you're trying to fix it down here and when you have it all straight, then you can fix it with God, it's never gonna work and you're gonna be thirsty forever. So come to the well. Come to the well. And Jesus is hoping that this woman will do it. And look at verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. She was so close. She was so close. 
Some of you are so close. So Jesus decides, I've offered new life. I've offered new thirst with God. I've offered new worship. I've done this all through a new encounter. So he's got to get to it. And he says, let me offer a new savior. And look at what he says in verse 26. I who speak to you am he. That Messiah you're waiting for, I'm that guy. That savior you're looking for, I'm that guy. Jesus doesn't mix the analogies anymore. Jesus is saying, the well, that's me. The water, that's me. The Messiah, that's me. The savior, that's me. Jesus says to her, I am that new savior. Come to this well and drink from it. Because Jesus wants to change her life and Jesus wants to change our lives. And there's lots of questions here. There's lots of concerns. There's lots of what ifs. And I know they're rattling around in your head. Well, what about this? And what about that? And what about all these other things that I've heard from in the past? And what about this question and that question? Friends, those can be answered. But the more you dig into those, you're just going to old wells. Realize, realize that Jesus is offering something to you. And you know if you go back to those old wells, it's not going to quench your thirst. Otherwise, you wouldn't be sitting here today. And we see that the woman starts to get this. Because when Jesus says, I am he, I am that savior, I am that Messiah, I am that water, I am that well, the next time that she talks, she's not responding to Jesus. Which up until this point, she was responding. Responding with old ways of doing things, old responses, old patterns, old lifestyles, old wells. But the next time she responds, she's not responding at all. She's reacting to what Jesus has offered. Look in verse 28. Then, leaving her water jar, for years this woman had gone to the well with her water jar. It was how she fixed herself physically, but as we've seen, it's also how she fixed herself emotionally. And that jar was filled with dirty, mucky water. It was filled with painful past experiences, hurt, rejection, unacceptance. It was in there. And now she's responding to Jesus. She's reacting to him, and she leaves her water jar. She leaves her past. Friends, you can leave your past. You can leave it today. You can leave it behind right now. And then it says, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, This town she was avoiding, these people that she was avoiding, these situations she was trying to get out of, she goes right back to them. She goes to them and says this, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? She's not asking this in a question. She's asking this rhetorically. This guy is the Messiah. I believe it. Could he be for you? My life has been changed by Jesus Christ. So come with me. Meet him. Come, drink from this well. This is it, she is saying. So not only does she leave her past, she goes back. Guys, you can go back. No matter what baggage you're carrying with you, no matter what water jars you're dragging with you, no matter what painful past experiences, no matter what you've done, you can go back and you can testify to the fact that Jesus Christ has changed your life. She sees this now. She gets this now. Not all the questions are answered yet, but she realizes the one central question of her life, who will truly quench the thirst of my heart and my soul? She now knows the answer. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And she sees now that there he goes. There he goes again. He calls my name. He knows my shame. No one else can heal my pain except for Jesus. 
pray with me. God, I ask that those of us here that have been stuck in relationships, stuck in past pain, stuck in addictive cycles and lifestyles, can lay those jars down today, God, at the old wells that didn't change us. I pray that we can run to you and drink from your well, the well of life and love and grace and mercy, the well of salvation. There are people here today, God, who are dying of thirst. Challenge their hearts and minds right now to drink deep from Jesus Christ, to know that he is the way, the truth, and the life. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Um, caveat, I'm going to be loitering with intent down here when we're done. If you need to talk to somebody about leaving behind that past, I'm more than welcome to sit and talk with you or find somebody you trust, somebody you know here. Start having those conversations because I know there's people here today who don't want what they used to drink. They don't want the well that they've gone to. Jesus Christ is offering himself uh, to you.